for the grace that is enough to sustain us and to carry us, to move us forward in this thing called the Christian walk, this thing called abundant life, until we see you in glory face to face. And Lord, we just want to say thank you for the power of the cross, which saves, which we have already sung of, stirring our hearts in thanksgiving for what you have done. And Lord, as David comes and shares from your word and as we listen, may our response to your word reflect the thanksgiving that we have in our hearts for the grace that you have poured out on us. How can we do anything less than to say yes to your will and your way after all you have done for us? So Lord, bless this time. Let it be anointed with your presence and in faith as your people of which you always remember. We say yes. Yes. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Let me invite your attention to Luke chapter 3. Luke, the third chapter. I don't know if you noticed as you um, came in this morning, those of you that came from the back parking lot, but the portico back there had to be reinforced this past week. They tell me that it was reinforced because the ice and snow uh, was so heavy on it, it began to crack some. Um, but I, I'm a little skeptical about that. Uh, the ice and snow were a couple of weeks ago. I'm certain that it began to buckle some uh, because of the choir last Sunday. <laughs> and all I want to say to you in our choir, our worship choir, and our music team is, Jesus is worthy, uh, we have insurance, let it rip. <laughs> you have magnified the Lord, and we appreciate that, including uh, all the Sundays that uh, I've been here and before. I know where your heart is, and I appreciate so much. I I've thought about that some. The reinforcement there is something that we need in our own life. There are several basic reinforcements and platforms and foundations, if depending on the metaphor you choose to use, that are very useful in the Christian life. And what I want to say is they are not the shingles or the, uh, the beams. They, they are actually foundational structural parts that hold us up. And one of those happens to be the message of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3. Here, John the Baptist emphasized repentance and outward demonstration of it. Beginning in Luke chapter 3 and verse number 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of Iturea in the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, while Annas and Caiaphas were high priests, the word of God came to John, in the, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, 
Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough way smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him, saying, Well, what shall we do then? And he answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. He who has food, let him do likewise. Well, the tax collectors came to him to be baptized and said, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. Now, as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, Indeed, I baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. And with many other exhortations, he preached to the people. It's not unusual for us to find ourselves in need of recovering our walk with Christ it's not unusual in this day to find that we need to begin one. The first element in improving, recovering, or beginning a walk with the Lord Jesus Christ is to repent. And John the Baptist made that profoundly clear, dramatically clear, frightfully clear in Luke 3, Mark 1, and Matthew 3 as well. And so we can improve our walk with Jesus if we will begin with repentance. It can happen. And there are some marvelous benefits then to repentance. And one is repentance promotes us. Now look with me again in verse number one. Verse number one. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius the Caesar, Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch, the Tetrarch of Galilee, Philip, the Tetrarch of these two regions, Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene. And then you've got Annas and Caiaphas. And Judaism in that day was so skewed, they had two high priests, functionally, in that day. And then you've got little old John, the preacher of repentance. Let me ask you something. Before today, how many of you were really familiar with Tiberius? I mean, how many of you have been waiting with bated breath for a message on Tiberius Caesar? What about Lysanus? What about Philip? What about the others in this text? I mean, last night you went to bed thrilled that we might hear today about Annas and Caiaphas. But let me ask you this. How many of you before today were familiar with John the Baptist? 
I did a real quick Google search recently on these names, and I found that um, Tiberius Caesar has 126 websites referring, 126,000 websites referring to him. Pontius Pilate, almost a million. Herod, almost a million. Philip, a little more than 300,000. Lysanias, 31,000. And John the Baptist, more than 9 million sites referring to him. Beloved, oftentimes what we exalt, God repudiates, and what we might repudiate, God exalts. The truth is, is that John was not the most popular individual in his day. In fact, he was executed for his preaching. But in John's day, these rulers were celebrated. They were met with pomp and circumstance. They were met with deference. There were dozens, if not hundreds, that would rush and run to serve their every need and to accommodate their whims, and they were hardly challenged by anyone except Tiberius Caesar. And then he was hardly challenged at all. They were great, they were mighty, they were celebrated, and today they are almost unknown except to people familiar with history from 2,000 years ago. And yet John the Baptist outreaches, outstretches them all. God has exalted this mighty man of God in John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus said of him in Luke 7, 38, of those born among women, no prophet is greater than John the Baptist. And about some of these others, I think Jesus was alluding to them and others in Luke 16, 15, where he said, that which is highly esteemed among men is detestable in the sight of God. God loves and promotes and exalts those whose lives are marked and characterized by the humility and miserable experience of repentance. Just like vegetables promote you. They may not taste good, especially if you're under 12, but they are good for you. And that's the, that's the way repentance functions in our own life. And so you have to understand, when God spoke after a 400-year silence, it had been 400 years since Malachi, when God spoke after a 400-year silence, He sent John the Baptist, and John the Baptist's urgent message and primary, me primary message can be summarized in one word, and that is the word repent. You know, God is trying to promote the people. He's trying to lift them up. It reminds me of uh, my experience in um, uh, the UK last summer. had the opportunity to take an Oxford study tour there and, and to teach our students, not uh, Oxford students, but our students at Southwestern Seminary in evangelism. And we toured much of the nation, London and some rural areas, and then Scotland for a few days. And the most impressive part of the trip for me happened to be to Moulton, Bedford and Olney, three small towns in the UK you've probably never heard of unless you specialize in Baptist history. Moulton happened to be the small village of William Carey, who was a part-time preacher and a shoe cobbler. Olney happened to be the place where John Newton, a former slave trader and drunk, happened to live and pastor a church there. Bedford is what? Bedford's the place of the Bunyan Meeting House where John Bunyan pastored for many years and spent 12 years in prison. 
But while William Carey was cobbling shoes and repairing shoes in Moulton, he was also dreaming of international missions, and he launched the modern missionary movement from his cobbler shop. And that movement is still circulating around the globe. A great and mighty revival is taking place today because of William Carey around the globe because of that movement he started in that small village out of the way in Moulton. John Newton. You may not know his name. You may not know his history as a slave trader and a drunk. But what you do know is his song, Amazing Grace. That's his personal testimony. And then, you may not be terribly familiar with John Bunyan, but you have probably heard, if you'll recollect, that his work, The Pilgrim's Progress, is the most read work written originally in English. And the most read work in English other than the Bible. And each of these three towns are in rural, out-of-the-way places within 10 miles of each other, and there's not a major road today going to any of them. In other words, it happened to be the rural, the country, the unsophisticated, the uneducated who were exalted by God in that day and in the first century with John the Baptist. When God wanted us to know something about a person, he didn't look for sophistication, for education, nothing wrong with those things, but what he looked for was repentance. It's what he looked for. God cherishes and treasures those who love repentance is what he does. And so, beloved, this is the move and the heart of God. God loves repentance like you love strawberry cake from UGA Conference Center. (laughs) These are the people that God exalts. So, I do need to tell you, though, it got John into some trouble. Look at verse 18. With many other exhortations he preached to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the events which Herod had done, also added this above all, that he shut John up into prison. What he did is that John preached against the immoral behavior of Herod. Got in prison and eventually lost his head over the whole incident. You may be sitting there and saying, look, if I repent and repudiate everything outside of Jesus Christ in my life, I'm going to upset some people and some people are not going to like me. I want to say to you, your calculation is probably entirely correct. Now, Satan will exaggerate that. He will make that appear to be more than what you think. He will tell you more people will dislike you than what really will but it will be more probably than what you're now experiencing. So at the end of this message, you've got to make a choice. Am I going to open up and abandon everything I've got to Almighty God? Am I going to do that? Am I going to give everything I've got to Almighty God? Or am I going to reject Him and please my friends and please this world? You have to understand if you're the kind of person that has got every that has to have everyone like you and approve of you, you can't follow Jesus. That won't happen till heaven. If that is such a need in your life, and really to be liked is a need in all of us. But if you are so needy 
that you have got to have everyone like you and you cannot live if someone disagrees with you or objects to you. You can't follow Jesus. Look with me at Luke chapter 14. It gets worse than this. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And like a good rabbi, sometimes he would overstate his case to make a point. Uh, We all do that. Let me give you an example here. Every 10 minutes, A.B. Sawyer tells a story about Alabama football. (laughs) That's not a good example. That's really not an exaggeration. I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) I think I've told you before how my mother used to refer, my grandmother used to refer to the heat in Houston as um, uh, that it was hotter than blue blazes. When I was a boy, I kept looking for him until I realized she was overstating the case to make a point. Uh, We could have said about our winter, uh, this winter, that it was as cold here as at the North Pole. That would be an exaggeration. It really wasn't that cold. But we understand what you mean. Jesus did that often. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27 He overstates his case to make the point. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. He doesn't want you to go hating on anybody. But Jesus is saying, your love for me has got to outdistance love for all others or you cannot follow me. In other words, you cannot be equally committed to yourself and your family, even. And have an equal commitment to me and follow me. Your commitment to me has got to outstrip even your commitment and love for your family. Of course, I think that when Jesus comes into your life and is master, he greatly improves the family. But our love for him has got to outstretch even love for family or we can't follow him. When it does, and then we, uh, we find that he promotes us. So repentance promotes us. But there's a second thing. Repentance prepares us. God's great intent is for his son to be one and unified with the people. He really wants to walk with his people. He did in the garden. Even when they sinned in the garden, he came walking towards them in the cool of the day and called out their names. In Revelation 21.3, it says finally that the tabernacle of God is with men and God shall dwell with his people. He is so intimate and close with them that he inscribes his name upon their forehead. Something they will rejoice in. That is his intent. He wants to restore that because it's not the thing now. He doesn't walk with us in as much intensity and closeness today as he did in the garden or as he one day will. That's why your heart, after a uh, very fruitful Bible study in prayer time, wants more. He wants to walk with his people. And so he spans the distance from heaven down to earth to walk with his people. And beloved, John came and his message resonates today 
to make that trip from the king, from his throne to our lives, easier and smoother. He is a king and he deserves that kind of trip. Now, that, that's the meaning of um, verse number 4 through 6. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places, made straight. The rough ways, smooth. I've discovered something about driving from my home behind the um, Georgia Square Mall to the church. I have to travel the Atlanta Highway. And it has absolutely ruined my gas mileage. <laughs> when I was in Texas, we drove on flat land. Texas is the, is the only state in the nation where you can watch your dog run away for three days. <laughs> it was so flat that during the storms that would come, we'd stand on the corner in our subdivision and watch the horizon as the clouds rolled in. We'd do that for entertainment. And we really weren't bored. We were in a major metropolitan area of nearly 7 million people. And that was the most entertaining thing in the world. We could see the horizon and watch it come in. That's how flat it was. It's not flat here at all. And it has ruined my gas mileage. It's cut it by about a third. I'm learning to drive on it. But it would sure be nice for my gas mileage and my vehicle and my drive here if somebody would flatten the Atlanta Highway. Well, that's something that we have in mind here. Ancient kings would travel from one place to another and they would send servants ahead of them to examine and repair and clean the road on which they would travel. It simply wasn't right to have a king travel along that road. If it was dirty, if there were potholes, if it wasn't straight, they did not want the king to have a difficult trip. And then citizens... Uh, where uh, he was going to travel would clean up the roads and the areas for his arrival as well. They would prepare things, fill up potholes, lower uh, small hills, and make paths straight and smooth because the king deserves easy passage from point A to point B. And beloved, I'm here to tell you, Jesus deserves the same thing with you. And what will make it smooth for him happens to be repentance repudiating anything that keeps you from a full-throated, open-hearted, zealous, yielding and surrender to Jesus Christ, repudiating that all and embracing Him completely on His terms without reservation. He deserves that. And I've got to tell you, if His trip into your life isn't easy, He isn't coming. He expects repentance. Beloved, April 13th, we're observing the Lord's Supper. We've got to be prepared. I need you to read 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 34, frequently between now and then, and get your heart ready. God expects His people to be holy and pure when they remember the Lord's death. And we need you to do that. Jesus said, in fact, unless you repent, you shall likewise perish. And so that's why at the end of the message today, we're calling you to make a choice. To choose Jesus Christ on His terms completely or choose yourself. You'll have to make a choice. You say, I I'm not going to make a choice. Well, you just did. To decide to make no choice is to make a choice. And the only choice that God approves of today is to repent and embrace Christ. 
Repentance prepares us. Then repentance protects us. There is the notion among the popular culture today that God is much like a grandparent. That he's soft and he approves of everything we do. And he just delights when we show up. In fact, he may not really prefer the program, but on Wednesday nights he'd like to sit around and watch Duck Dynasty with us all. He enjoys that kind of thing. That there's no way in the world that anything could go wrong with God. We've always got His approval. We always have His favor. And I've got to tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. It simply isn't true. The only thing that protects us from the wrath and the discipline of Almighty God is repentance on His terms. And that's what John's talking about here. In fact, what he uses here in verses 7 through 9 and 17 are some images that are some of the most insecure that we could use. All right, look with me. Uh, Look at verse 7. Now, this is the way to introduce a message. You brood of vipers. You snakes. Snake there on the screen happens to be Snakes from the Sweetwater, Texas Rattlesnake Roundup. Did you know they gather 12,000 pounds of snakes every Roundup and they've been doing it for more than 25 years? I read some comments on an online comment section about it and they compl- some people complained about how ruthless and mean they were being with the rattlesnakes. And I'm thinking someone is bad with their numbers. 12,000 pounds a year over 25 years. Had they not killed those snakes, the whole United States would be filled with them. I had a secretary one time that grew up in Sweetwater, Texas. And in their sophomore year in the local high schools, the county health department comes in and trains all of the sophomores in uh, snake removal techniques. And they are certified as snake removal technicians by the end of their sophomore year. And my secretary had removed three, been bitten by one. Let me ask you a question. Is there any beast in all the world more insecure than a snake? Last time I saw one in the road, I uh, turned real quickly to run him over. (laughs) And then I stopped and I put my vehicle one or two ton vehicle in reverse and I ran back over him and then I put it into drive and I came back over him, got my back tire on it and sped out and peeled rubber to make sure he was dead that's how you feel about snakes don't you I know some of you are sympathetic with snakes you're sick the rest of us (laughs) hate snakes Can you imagine the snakes getting together for coffee in the morning? One of them says, I had a close call last night and my self-esteem is just ruined. They all want to kill me. What is it about me? I just have fangs and venom. Is there anything in the world more insecure than a snake? Without repentance, we're snakes. Then, stones what he says here therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves our ethnic heritage 
Our racial heritage will save us. Our family tree, our grandfather, and the faith of our grandfather. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. In other words, we're no more significant. In other words, our family heritage is no more significant to God than stones. Common stones. That's a rather insecure image. Then he goes on and talks about roots and trees. Even now, verse 9, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. We're the root without repentance. And an axe is coming to us and heaven's going to Paul Bunyan us. And then, fire. He goes on to say in verse number 17, His winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. A winnowing fan was like a sieve for the barn. It would sift, essentially, the husk of wheat from the wheat. The wheat was larger, the husk was smaller, and it would, the chaff would fly away in the wind. But that's not all he does. He gathers it, the chaff, and burns it with unquenchable fire. Few things can stand against fire. And then chaff. The wind can disperse it. Then imagine what the fire can do. So the person who does not repent struggles with this much Insecurity, the person who repents, enjoys great stability with God. But there's a, there's a fourth thing that repentance does, and that is it purifies us. I've enjoyed social media, and I use it, Facebook and Twitter. I haven't taken time to get on Instagram or some of the others, but though I enjoy social media, I've got to tell you, I, I keep up with a lot of Christians, and I... Um, Try to do all I can to stay close to young people through social media and try to applaud them. I am terribly surprised by the things that some Christians who claim Christ place on Facebook and Twitter. I don't know about you, but I'm finding that profanity is becoming more and more prominent among some using Jesus' name on Sunday in even F words and B words. Frankly, ladies and gentlemen, there are some things that have gone public that I wish would go back in the closet. In fact, they shouldn't even be there. And you know what worries me about this? It's like... um, It's like folks that are dating in public. The public displays of affection, the PDA in public, is only a tip of the iceberg. A lot more goes on generally in private. And oftentimes the same is true with Facebook and Twitter posts. Verses 10 through 14, John's got something to say about this. They repent... They are baptized, and then they ask the question everyone should ask in verse 10. What shall we do then? And then he goes on, and he says, get rid of your greed. He says also, get rid of your abuse of the people, your envy, your error. And then in verse 3, they follow him in baptism. 
They publicly identify with the country bumpkin preacher who throws down about repentance. There's a life change. Now, the, good, the, the, the helpful image of it is found in verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Repentance is a tree, spiritually speaking. Repentance is a tree that produces a certain kind of fruit. Now, if a tree produces apples, it is a what tree? An apple tree. If it produces figs, it's a fig tree. If it produces oranges, it's a... If it produces profanity, it's a... If it produces unrighteousness, it's a what kind of tree? I'm talking more than just momentary failures where we repent and get right with God. That's something that we've got to do. In fact, we will repent over and over again before we get to heaven. We will actually stumble into eternity. But I'm talking about a lifestyle. Listen, if your life over the months and years has not changed and you don't thirst for repentance, you need to question where you are with God. Your behavior is what you are on the inside. And so if life is filled with greed and error and envy and an embarrassment over the blatant things of God that are disapproved of in our world, there is serious cause for concern. Because repentance is a tree that gets us right with God and produces the kind of fruit that God expects from his people. So when, when you practice repentance, God purifies you and begins a process of changing your life. And so John preached a message of repentance. We can accelerate our walk with God with repentance. And I want to call on you then today to repent from a few, from a few things. One, repent from overestimating yourself. The language used here is harsh language. But if you want to get to Jesus, you've got to choke it down, as unpleasant as it is. You've got to essentially admit that you're a snake. I read about a snake this past week. A 23-year-old Douglas County young man who grew increasingly aggravated with his five-month-old son he shared with his live-in girlfriend. The mother was gone and he was watching the five-month-old son and the boy annoyed him so badly he shook him. The mother arrived home and the boy wasn't doing well. The boy's back popped. He didn't call an ambulance. She did. It put the child in the pediatric intensive care children's hospital in Atlanta. Those who interviewed him said he admitted and confessed to three separate incidents where he became so aggravated with the infant, he squeezed the child so hard that he had all the blood in his body go to his head. He looked down and saw the child compressed, news reports say, compressed against his chest, red in his face. He admits to violently shaking the child so hard he popped his back while he was shaking the child, and as a result, the child sustained multiple rib fractures, a fractured skull, subdural hemorrhaging, and some other hemorrhaging I really can't mention here. And the child may suffer from paralysis for the rest of his life and possible mental and learning disabilities. The judge granted him, or failed to grant him, bail. The young man was on parole for gang-related activity. 
How do you feel about that? I know. But with as much tenderness and compassion as I can muster, I've got to tell you that that image you have of this 23-year-old abusive father is very similar to the image heaven has of you if you haven't repented. You aren't any better. Get over thinking that you are and don't exaggerate your virtue. And it doesn't matter how religious you think you are, how virtuous, anything short of Jesus Christ is falling short of the glory of God. So don't overestimate yourself. Repent from that. But then repent also from excluding yourself. I want to show you a picture here. A couple, in fact. of A puppy and a kitten. Before they fell asleep, they were singing, You've Got a Friend in Me. <laughs> and the next one is intensely adorable. Now, who doesn't like that? If you don't like the kittens, I understand, but the puppies are wonderful. <laughs> Pictures of puppies and kittens are warm to the heart. And that affection and sweetness you feel in your own soul... Beloved, is the affection God feels for snakes. You love puppies. You love kittens. God loves snakes. I don't understand how God could be so offended by our sin and at the same time love us. I don't either. Get in line. We'll talk about it. Well, no one can do that. God can. I couldn't do that. Thank God you're not God. What you've got to conclude and what you have to have a fundamental life conviction about is that God is not like us. Think for a moment of everyone that has lived in the world. And then remember, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I can't put it all together. I can't fathom it. I can't reconcile it. It doesn't matter. I simply plunge into it and hope in it and thank God for it because it cost the Son of God His life. God loves snakes and so you have to repent from the notion that God does not love you and that God will not fill you with grace and God will not forgive you. You've got to set that aside. Then you've got to repent from trusting yourself. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Paul said in Titus 3.5. In other words, we do not trust ourselves to make ourselves right with God by our virtue or by our merit. The fire and the winnowing and the judgment John threatened here actually is a preview of the fire and the winnowing and the judgment the Father would place on His Son at the cross. Everything John warned of here, Jesus experienced on the cross. The price is paid. There is power in the cross. God saves by the cross. 
He crucified His Son there. The debt is paid. You no longer have to weep. You no longer have to fear. You no longer have to worry or live in anxiety. God is willing to accept you on the basis of His terms, which are repentance and faith in the cross. Then you need to repent from keeping yourself. Repent and believe the gospel. No longer trust yourself. But give yourself thoroughly and completely to the Lord Jesus, entirely over to His care. When you do that, God saves and claims and secures you for all eternity. And Father, I want to ask that friends today would rush and hurry to repent. Help them to heed John's message and lift up Jesus in their lives. Make them the kind of people that will embrace Him on His terms. And make them the people that will rush into the baptistry and relish a sacrificial life of discipleship. Would you magnify Jesus that way here? We know that that is your will. And I pray that something like a Mount of Transfiguration would take place here. That Jesus may be loved and magnified and adored. And that lives may be changed for the sake of his name. Help friends to come today and say yes to him because he is worthy now everyone keeps talking to God no one's looking around but we're going to sing a song in just a moment and as we sing it's very important that you do what I say today step out from where you are down one of these four aisles there'll be a staff member here in the front to receive you and tell them I'm ready to repent I want Jesus and they'll help you come to Christ today. Would you do that? Maybe you already have and you, you need to follow Him in baptism as they did in John's day and go public for Jesus. Maybe God's calling you to ministry or missionary service. You come. We want to pray with you about that. Maybe there's something else God's doing in your life and you just need to yield your all and surrender to Him. This is the road to embracing Christ. Embrace Him today. Don't let anything get in your way. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to finish my prayer and we're going to sing. Would you quietly and quickly stand with me, please? All over, please stand. Father, please gather for Jesus everything you intended to get in this moment when you planned this day ages ago. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.